0: for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, April 24th, 2018. Just so you know, we will be announcing the winner of the Worst Easter Sermon of the Year contest today on our YouTube channel. We're doing a live program to announce the winner.
1: Hardly wait! Yay!
0: To compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God— yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by Christians and evangelicals, is far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. It's like not even close anymore, and it's just getting worse. So uh let's talk about what we're going to do on this episode of Fighting for the Faith. Just a reminder, yesterday I was out of the office, took a personal day to kind of recoup the... uh the engines and get my mind out of uh, out of the muck for just a little bit. It's it been a little bit of a hectic clip over the last few weeks, kind of really starting with the week before Easter and just going through. Had to put the brakes on just a smidge and uh, and uh, g- regather myself. And uh, appreciated the, the the day off. But uh, we're at, we're back at it today, hard at it too. We're going to start off with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, we're going to take on one of the uh, the most twisted scriptures within the uh, NAR and uh, kind of the five-fold wing of the uh, charismatic movement that supposedly, you know, this is the reason why we need apostles today. It's because, you know, in Amos three seven, it says, God doesn't reveal any, doesn't do anything unless he reveals it to his prophets, which is totally taken out of context and not at all what that text means. So uh, we'll take a look at Ryan Lestrange and his Monday word for the week. Uh, Look for the treasure, prophetic wisdom. And uh, then we'll switch gears and we're going to head over to the uh, Cathedral of Frisco as we listen to Keith Craft, a part of his message titled The uh, Keys of the Kingdom Part 1. And wow, this was a mess is the best way I can put it. And the things he said were so far off that... Uh, I am truly fearing for the people there at the Cathedral of Frisco. And then we'll take a break, and when we come back from the break, we are going to do an NAR update, an extended Michael Brown segment. Uh, The name of the segment will be The Masting of Michael Brown Part 1, and uh, this is a little bit of a takedown. Now, if you haven't heard it yet, we'll put a link to it with today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. On Friday of last week, on the Alyssa Childers uh, podcast, uh, Holly Pivick and Doug Guyvet had a kind of an informal debate. It was a discussion slash debate with Dr. Michael Brown on the topic of, is the NAR a movement or a myth? And uh, Michael Brown took the, uh, the the position that it's a myth. And I got to tell you, Holly Pivick and Doug Guyvett, ate his lunch for him. They literally decimated him. He looked, sounded terrible. His arguments were utterly lame. And so yesterday, yesterday on uh, Michael Brown's line of fire program, he he literally came out swinging in full damage control mode. Full damage control mode, you know, doing spin doctoring and just engaging in the same obfuscation and lame uh, talking out of both sides of your mouth, rhetoric, and uh, and so this will be part one where we pick that apart, and uh, you know it will wait a few days before we do part two, but you 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 want to see this? It, it's the best way I could put it. You'll hear it on the podcast today, but you're gonna want to see it because, I mean, it, 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 wh- he just literally shot himself in the foot. And uh, we're going to point out the smoking gun here in his lame rhetoric. So that, the best way I can put it. Then in hour number two, uh, in honor of Holly Pivix, um, <laughs> you know, victory over Michael Brown, we're going to do a full blown uh, Chris Valatin sermon review. If you remember, a few weeks back we reviewed a Chris Valatin sermon. Um, about the apostolic and this is part two of it and the name of it is Becoming an Apostolic People by Chris Vallotton delivered on June 23rd 2017 just a few weeks later a few weeks after the um, the sermon we reviewed a few weeks back and gotta tell you gotta tell you no doubt that the NAR exists and that Bethel is part of it is the best way I can put it so uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We got a lot of ground we need to cover and uh, since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Let's do this.
2: Oh, hallelujah.
0: Tilton and Hubaconda so we 're heading over to the YouTube channel for the uh self appointed apostle Ryan Lestrange, and uh, we 're going to listen to his Monday prophetic word, and in the midst of it we 're going to note that uh, he is twisting Amos three verse seven we 're going to if you want go ahead and get o- open up your Bible and head over to Amos chapter two. want to show you a little bit of the structure of Amos so you can see what 's going on. And, uh, and then we'll note how he's uh, twisting this text. But here's Ryan Lestrange.
3: Hi friends, it's Ryan the Stranger with the Monday Word. And my Monday Word is a piece of prophetic advice. Look for the treasure. You know, I was spending some time with the Lord, and he began to deal with me about his prophetic ministry and how that he wants to reveal his heart to his people. In Amos 3.7, it says, Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets.
0: You know- Notice, out of context.
3: Are the propheticists? God allows prophetic people, prophets and prophetic leaders, to see what is seemingly unseen. Sometimes He allows us to see the very contents of the hearts of men and women. Sure.
0: Right, uh-huh, sure. So now by the way, that verse is one of the most twisted verses by people in the NAR and the fivefold charismatics, and you know for the justification for you know, so-called you know, uh, current day prophetic words. But you know, and their claim is to say, see, God doesn't do anything unless he first reveals the secret of the prophet. So we got to have prophetic ministry, you know, because otherwise God can't do things. <laughs> nope, that's not actually what that text is saying. Now, take a look at Amos chapter 2. Amos chapter 2, verse 1. You'll note that God is addressing Moab. For three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will rev- not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. Uh, Verse 4, chapter 2, Thus says Yahweh, For three transgressions of Judah, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law, the Torah of Yahweh, and have not kept his statutes. So God is declaring judgment on Judah. Thus says Yahweh, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. So here's what's going on in the book of Amos. This is prior to, written prior to, uh, the northern kingdom being taken into captivity and dispersed by the Assyrians. Yeah, that, that had not taken place yet. And, uh, and they persisted in, in unbelief, repute, refused to repent of their sins and idolatry. And God had raised up the prophet Amos for the purpose of revealing to them, well, God's judgment uh, against them in their impenitence. So there's a prophecy for Moab. There's a prophecy for Judah. There's a prophecy for Israel. Israel, the northern kingdom. And so you're going to note that the prophecy for Israel begins in Amos chapter 2, verse 6. It continues in chapter 3, verse 1. Hear this word that Yahweh has spoken against you, O people of Israel. Who's he talking to? Israel. "...against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all of your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does the snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing?" Is a trumpet blown in a city, and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? You see, this isn't some universal principle that God is saying here, that therefore, in the New Testament era, we've got to have continuing prophets because God does nothing without revealing it first to his prophets. To which I would basically say, okay, where, who were the prophets who prophesied World War I? The attack of the Japanese against the United States at Pearl Harbor, World War II, where were the prophets revealing the the uh, the Vietnam War coming, and who you know, and all of this nonsense? This is just absurd. Okay, there isn't any. God isn't saying I can't do anything unless I first reveal it to the prophets. He's basically saying to Israel you know i'm not going i'm going to do this to you and i'm going to reveal these secrets to the prophets regarding judgment against you this isn't some kind of universal passage that you know means that God's going to always do things this way, and therefore God can't do anything unless he reveals it to the prophets. But that's exactly how guys like Ryan Lestrange twist this text in order to justify their existence. But it's important to note that w- what Ryan Lestrange is engaging in week after week after week, and what we cover in our dumpster fires regarding the prophetic words for the different months, this isn't prophecy. This is fortune-telling. And there's a big difference. We continue.
3: Prophetic people, we sometimes see negative things. Certainly, we sometimes see troubling things. But many times, I believe God allows us to speak prophetically to the purpose and the plans of heaven over the life of a person. Many times when a person is struggling, when a person is far away from God, a prophetic word will connect. So
0: you'll notice he's using Amos 3, seven and talking about how... You know, God does nothing except, you know, except for he reveals his secrets to the prophets. He's talking on an individual basis now. How many things have happened in your life and no prophet has told you what was going to happen? Uh-huh
3: them to destiny as we declare that heavenly intention over their life in 1st corinthians 14 talking about the simple gift of prophecy it says to edify to exhort and to comfort i believe there's a realm of really looking into the heart of god over people's lives and seeing in the spirit realm to see really that again this is fortune telling not prophecy dna in the lives of people and to really Speak and discern the destiny of heaven over their lives. I believe God's calling us to release words over people that are contrary to the negative circumstance. And I want to give you four operations of a a prophetic treasure hunter. I'm not talking about
0: (laughs) four operations of a prophetic treasure hunter. Never heard of such a thing
3: hunting and just going on the streets and finding people to prophesy. But I'm talking about a dimension of the prophetic that calls forth the God DNA in people's lives. Number one, they discover God's heart for people and regions. I believe the Lord's releasing a prophetic generation that's got a Jeremiah mandate really to speak to lands, to regions, and the nations. I believe the prophetic word gives entrance or becomes a gateway for the glory in a territory. But that mm,
0: The prophetic becomes a gateway for the glory. I mean, that sounds so
3: pious and stuff. Which biblical text says that? It's got to be discovered and then released. The assignment of the prophetic is to discover and then to release as God leads us. And I believe many times there is an untapped prophetic potential in territories.
0: But it t- Oh yeah, there's untapped prophetic potentials in territories, man. Oh man, it's like all these treasure chests dropped out of heaven to earth and nobody's opening the treasure chest. It, all this prophetic potential is being missed
3: prophetic uh, people to decree a thing over the region. Number two, there is a realm of prophetic evangelism. I love that realm of the prophetic that, that we begin to take it out past the four walls. That we obey the New Testament and we use the gifts of the Spirit as a kingdom tool to evangelize people. We connect people to the kingdom to restore them and to win the lost to make Jesus famous. Number three, personal prophetic ministry. You know, there's nothing that will encourage a person like accurate personal prophetic ministry
0: yeah nothing bind them worse than false prophetic ministries like <clears throat> ryan lestrange i think you get the point all right moving along these are the sounds of the mariachi trench deepest place on the planet apparently According to vision casting leader, Keith Kraft, we're going to be <laughs> heading over to the Cathedral of Frisco as we hear him explain to us uh, some really important stuff apparently regarding the kingdom that so many Christians just apparently miss. So let me back off on the music and without any further ado, here's Keith Kraft and his message Keys of the kingdom. Here
4: we go. And so a lot of people say, well, Jesus came to die on a cross for my sins. Yes, he did come for that. He came to do miracles. Yes, he did come to do that. He he came and he rose from the dead. Yes, he did that. We just celebrated Easter. But those were all means to an end. Jesus did not come just to die on a cross for your sins. Here's what Jesus said.
3: (laughs)
0: Yeah! Wow, that's some crazy talk right there. So uh, you hear something like this, and immediately your ears perk up. What? 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 Jesus didn't come just to die to save you from your sins. What do you mean there?
4: He told them. He said, "The secret of the kingdom has been given to you. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in all towns, because this is why I was sent." So the reason Jesus came was not just to die on a cross for my sins.
0: Uh-huh. So no, that this is a classic example of, of what a lot of people do. They pit the gospel of the forgiveness of sins against the kingdom. And a very, very dangerous thing to be doing because it overlooks some very, very important stuff as it relates to the kingdom of God. Now, in our uh, working through it over the summer of last year, worked through all of the uh, portions of the Old Testament as it related to the, uh, the the doctrine of the kingdom, and and so yeah, that that's kind of an important piece of um, uh, of all of this. If you want, if you haven't heard those lectures, uh, you know, Roseboro's Ramblings on you know like First Samuel and parts of Second Samuel worth listening to, because all of that is looking at what the Scripture teaches regarding the kingdom. But the question then comes, how, is, how does the kingdom arrive? You know, how does this take place? And the reality is this, is that the kingdom comes when somebody is brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And so, you know, this the, what he's doing here. Is splitting something apart biblically that ought not to be split apart, and over and again when somebody talks about the kingdom in this way, what they 're going to do is they 're going to define kingdom in several different ways, for instance, when a, the, those who are engaged in social justice you know social social justice liberals, they will say, The kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom comes." When we eradicate uh, systemic poverty here on the earth, no, that's not true at all. The uh, signs and wonders, uh, charismatics and those in the NAR, they'll say, oh, the kingdom comes when uh, there are visible manifestations of the kingdom, you know, uh, legs growing and (laughs) people barking like dogs and stuff like that. I wish I was making that up. But and so the, the kingdom comes in visible signs and wonders prosperity preachers, they'll say, oh, the kingdom comes when you have wealth and influence and affluence. And the light version of that then would be like the purpose-driven movement was, oh, you know, the kingdom comes when you find your purpose and stuff like that. So Keith Craft is engaging in the same type of argumentation that you see in social justice, liberal groups, um, you know, in charismatic you know, Christianity and other places fascinating that we're hearing that from him.
4: That was a means to an end. The reason Jesus came was not just to do miracles. That was a means to an end. The reason Jesus came was not just to prove that he is the son of God. Although when he rose from the dead, he proved that he was who he says that he was. I am the resurrection and the life. But Jesus came. Here's what he said. I came to give you the good news of the kingdom, so Jesus came to give:
0: yeah, the good news of the kingdom is not a separate or a different thing than apart from the good news of Christ bleeding and dying for our sins, and that Christ God forgives us on account of Christ.
4: That's the good news of the kingdom, not just freedom from our sin. And again, I grew up in church, and here's what I heard over and over and over, and I heard very little about the kingdom. And yet Jesus himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and God's way of doing things. And all-
0: No, no, no. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yeah, the righteousness of God that is given to us by grace through faith. He did not say in his way of doing things. Keith Kraft just twisted Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount there.
4: ...other things will be added unto you. So Jesus came to give us the kingdom. Why is that? I apologize today. I'm a little bit dry. I had to pray for some cold weather. So today is my fault because the pollen count was so high this week I said, God, okay, since you to come with one swoop, wipe it out. I woke up this morning, thirty seven. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I was having all kind of sinus sinusinitis, sinus, but now in the name of Jesus, the cold has frozen it away. Keep that open and ready to give it to me. Okay. The kingdom, why would he bring us the good news of the kingdom? Because the kingdom solves our number one problem, our biggest problem.
0: All right. So our biggest problem, according to scripture, is that we are born dead in trespasses and sins Mm -hmm. and that we are enemies of God and that we are under God's wrath. This is what Scripture so clearly teaches in multiple passages. What do you think Keith Craft is going to point to as the number one thing that we really need, the number one problem we face as human beings? Is it separation from God, subject to God's wrath because of our rebellion and sin? No, if that's what you're thinking, um, you're going to be disappointed. That's not what he's going to say. Listen
4: solves our number one problem. Our biggest problem. If I were to ask you, what's your biggest problem right now? You would probably, some of you wouldn't take you very long. So i say it's her <laughs> or more likely it's him. But, but some of us would be able to identify our biggest problem. But let me tell you something. We all have a common denominator and it's our biggest problem. It's where all of our worry stems from. It's where all of our fears stem from. It's where all of our doubts stem from. It's where all of our unbeliefs stem from.
0: Yeah, weird that you would say that because Jesus puts worry. He says the reason why you worry is because of your lack of faith. Uh Uh-huh. And why would that be?
4: All of our uncertainty stems from, and guess what it is? It's our biggest problem. You know what it is? We can't control our circumstances.
0: No biblical text says that our biggest problem is that we can't control our circumstances. Where'd you get that?
4: Like, if I could control everything, why would I worry? If I could control everything, why would I have any fears?
0: So, no, he's not speaking from Scripture at this point. He's giving us what is inside of his heart, his mind, his spirit. He's speaking the way the world does basically speaking out of what's reasonable to him in the world. But this is no biblical text says anything, even remotely approaching what he just said.
4: If I could control every circumstance, then why would I ever have anxiety or be anxious about anything? So our biggest problem is the problem that we don't know that's the root of our problem, and that is that we want to control our circumstances, but we can't control our circumstances. And so Jesus said... I came to give you this kingdom. And the good news of the kingdom is this beginning with Jesus birth. Think about it. This, this teenage girl, Mary was visited by an angel and she said, you've, you've found favor with God and, and you're going to get pregnant and God's going to be the one that does it. And it's going to be awesome. And you're going to have a son and his name is going to be called Jesus. And, and, And the world is going to be saved because of him. He's going to be joy to the world. And her first question, as she got very worried when she heard this supposedly good news, her first question was, how can this be when I've never known a man? See, this is our problem. This is a, again, this is the root of our worry. This is the root of our fear. This is, it's like we, we don't have like, how is that going to happen I I don't know a man. And so here's what the angel of the Lord said. This is before Jesus was even born. With God, all things are possible. So Jesus said, I was sent to give the good news of the kingdom, and it started even before I was born.
0: Um, Can we fact check that real quick here? Uh, Because I don't recall that's what you know the angel Gabriel said. With all things, God with with all things, all things are possible with God. Um, So uh, here's uh, Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. um, uh, The angel Gabriel says to Mary, verse twenty eight. I came to her greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, "'How will this be, since I am a virgin?' And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called holy, the Son of God. Mm-hmm. And by the way, now we continue, though. Listen to the, the verse there. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is the sixth in the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So... Technically, the nothing be impossible with God is part of the um, answer, but uh, Keith Kraft totally omitted the rest of it. And as, as if somehow this shows that Mary had the problem that we all have, you know, she wasn't in control of her circumstances. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Keith Kraft thinks he's teaching regarding the kingdom, and, but I'm sure it's not going to be based upon a right understanding of what God's word says regarding the kingdom, because I'm not hearing anything even remotely close uh, to what God's word teaches there coming from his mouth, and he's kind of twisting and manipulating the word along the way. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter my name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be listening to uh, Michael Brown. In full damage control mode, and we're going to debunk his rhetoric. Stay tuned; don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Peter, James, John, and Paul are all dead. That means there are no living apostles in the church today. You're listening to Fighting for the
5: Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
6: Presents Church Day Select
7: Come in. Hello, I'm here for my two o'clock appointment. Yes,
6: Mrs. Staley, is it? That's me. Have a seat. So, what is it I can do for you today? I was
7: hoping that I could upgrade my prayer account today.
6: That is excellent. Let me just look up your information. It looks like you've been with us for about three years. That's right. And you're currently a member of a spiritual growth prayer package. Yes. Well, that's not good. What's not good? It says here that your account even after three years of accumulated dream interest, is still classified at a micro-prayer level. What does that mean? It means that your current dream-destiny balance is non-existent. It it says that you've experienced zero spiritual growth. That's very disturbing. There must be some kind of mistake. Well, we can easily fix this. I'm just going to pull up your pre-appointment questionnaire. Okay. It says here that you pray at least four to six times a week. That's good. You tie ten percent of your income to your local church. That's very good. You're happily married. You have two children and... Oh. What's oh? Well, in the career box, you put an A. Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So what you're saying is that you don't have a real job. It
7: certainly feels like a real job to me.
6: Okay, then...
7: So, what can we do to fix my account balance?
6: For starters, we'll go over your current dream projections for the next fiscal church year. That'll give us a baseline to work from.
3: So, what are your big
6: plans for this year?
7: Well, I'm currently trying to potty train my two-year-old by summertime. Uh Uh-huh. I'm trying to grow my own vegetables in my back garden.
6: Okay.
7: And my husband and I are also saving up money
6: to fix our roof. Well then, that explains a lot. What do you mean? It's painfully clear to me that you're simply not dreaming big enough. Not big enough? Well, duh doy. Potty training, vegetables, and roofs are chump change. And are simply unworthy of a mega prayer account.
7: Oh. So what do you suggest I do?
6: Well, first things first, you're going to need to get a real career. It really doesn't matter as long as it's related with fame, fortune, or glory. Uh. Secondly, you need to rid yourself of these pathetic micro prayers. God doesn't have time to listen to such puny little things. What would be your current dream car?
7: Probably a minivan, so I could have enough room for the kids and groceries. <laughs>
6: I think I just threw it in my mouth a little bit. <sighs> okay, instead of a mm, minivan, uh, why not pray for a Maserati? I couldn't afford the insurance. That's what the career is for. See, you're so trapped by your own dreams that you can't see your potential. I don't want a career.
2: I
7: love being a stay-at-home mom.
5: <laughs> I can't believe what I'm hearing. No wonder you've experienced zero spiritual growth. I I bet you're the type of person that prays for daily bread and, and for the forgiveness of their sins.
7: Why, yes, actually.
5: Get out of my office!
0: for additional savings. Again, FightingForTheFaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and
2: rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found
5: yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, pirate gang conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and
2: subscribe.
0: Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that the NAR exists and that Michael Brown is the apostle of obfuscation. Because he is. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your uh, generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And uh, this is a partnership. That's right. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says, Donate. The other says, Join our crew. The other says, Become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. If you'd like to support us by becoming a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And of course, if you'd like to make your gift, yeah, send it in the traditional way, you could do so by making your gift payable too, fighting for the faith, and then sending it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we're doing here without it. All right. Here is uh, we're gonna do a new Apostolic Reformation update. Let's do this.
3: James, what do you want to do tonight?
4: The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain.
0: Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One it's is a the genius. genius, the other's insane. An laboratory mice, the team has its the mice. They're Pinky. pinky. They're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world.
5: They're Pinky and the Brain, yes, Pinky and the Brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain, to prove their mousy worth keep their thinking
0: and the brain 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 all right, as i 've already said at the top of the program, uh, Michael Brown on Friday was on a podcast doing an informal discussions last debate on the topic of is the NAR a movement or a myth? He took the uh, position that it is a myth. And on the opposite side of the debate were Holly Pivick and Doug Givett, who have authored two books on the New Apostolic Reformation. And Michael Brown got decimated. They cleaned his clock. They ate his lunch. I'm surprised they didn't do an end zone dance. That's how devastating it was. Yesterday, Michael Brown on the line of fire went into full panic you know, you know, spin control damage control mode because it's so clear he just got his clock cleaned and in the process he was engaging in the same completely duplicitous obfuscatory rhetoric and talking out of both sides of his mouth, and and we're just going to do a takedown on it. So we're going to name this segment The Masting of uh, Michael Brown Part 1. We'll do this with some regularity now until, we're, you know, until I've exhausted the topic, but... uh here 's Michael Brown to you know it basically explain why oh, the all the, oh, these people are out there misrepresenting the the the, the, the so called new apostolic reformation although he he's now kind of come to grips with the fact that he has to admit that it exists he's doing that kind of somewhat reluctantly, but he goes after Amy spreeman and an article that appears on the Brean Examiner at the Pirate Christian website. And uh, takes issue with two of the things that she says, you know, you know are hallmarks of, the, uh, of an NAR church. And uh, we're going to prove that Amy Spreeman had it right. Here's Michael Brown.
2: Let's, let's look at this website. Six hallmarks of a NAR church. The Berean Examiner. The six hallmarks of a NAR church posted June 7, 2016. So you scroll down, and number one is this. Apostles. We're in, quote, a second apostolic age. There are new apostles on the earth today, anointed by the laying on of hands to represent and speak for God here on earth. These, quote, super apostles are equal to the original apostles. The ones who witnessed Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were appointed by Christ himself to the office. Since these new apostles are commissioned by God, their authority may not be questioned. Frankly, I don't know anybody who believes that. All right,
0: so we're going to note the technique. So he read, uh, you know, what are the signs your church may be part of the New Apostolic Reformation? You have an apostle who is claiming to be in an office, and he cannot be questioned, and he likens himself in his rhetoric to the apostles, like of the New Testament, of John, of Peter, and Paul, and people like that. All right, so that that's basically what Amy Spreeman said. And he, his first argument out of the shoot. I don't know anybody like that. I just, so apparently this is some kind of great argument because Michael Brown, uh, he knows everybody in the NAR. Of course, and again, you know we've got a problem as he keeps talking about it as being the so-called NAR. So none of the people that he knows believes this. And so therefore... it it, it must be false hmm okay let's listen
2: a little bit more there's no one that i've worked
0: with Mm
2: -hmm. including people that were part of peter wagner's organization that would be called new apostolic reformation properly okay
0: all right so he recognizes and now is beginning to change his tune he's beginning to acknowledge well yeah the nar exists but what what
2: the way they're describing it, even C. Peter Wagner wouldn't agree with this. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of them that believe that. If Peter Wagner believed that, I'm not aware of it. If he did
0: Yeah, okay, so if Peter Wagner believed that and you're not aware of it, my question immediately comes up. If you're going to be debunking the hysteria regarding the NAR, shouldn't you at least read primary source materials on this? The reason I ask is because here's See Peter Wagner's book, Apostles Today. I have the Kindle edition. Read it several years ago, in fact. And we'll just kind of walk through some of the things that C. Peter Wagner says. So, you know, let's get through the front portion of it here. Chapter 1. C. Peter Wagner writing. Are there apostles in our churches today? Most Christians would affirm that they believe in apostles because Jesus led a group of 12 of them. However, apostles are generally seen as figures of a bygone age, like Vikings, Roman legions, Spanish conquistadors, or pioneers in covered wagons. They made their contributions to history, but the world has moved on. One reason why this kind of thinking is so prevalent is that this is what most of our church leaders were taught in seminary and Bible school. I know I was one of them, C. Peter Wagner says. The notion that there can be contemporary apostles never came up in the seminaries I attended, not even as a suggestion. We were taught that the original 12 apostles had a singular one-of-a-kind mission that was completed by the time of their deaths, and that was the end of their of the brief life of apostles. On earth. Consequently, I graduated, assuming that apostles did not continue long after the first hundred years or so of the church. Not so, he says. We are now living in the midst of one of the most epical changes in the structure of the church that has been recorded. I like to call it, quote, the second apostolic age. And notice what his historical referent was: the first apostolic age of the first. Apostles. Now he goes on, and you know, here's just some of the salient quotes. A growing number of Christian leaders now recognize, acknowledge, and affirm both the gift and office of apostle in today's churches. The apostles have surfaced, and let me go forward now to page twenty-seven, and you'll see how what he, you know, what he defines as the role of the apostles. And so here's his definition. Okay. And he's talking, by the way, is fascinating. This is an important quote. Let me back this just up just over here, not the uh, the, the part where it's uh, highlighted. But here's, he says, this is my fifth book related to apostles. In none of the first four did I ever offer a definition of an apostle. One of the reasons is that I was on such a rapid learning curve that I sensed intuitively that any definition I came up with would probably soon have to be revised, perhaps many times over. Subsequently, however, I've been able to craft a definition that is beginning to stand the test of time and has been accepted by the official definition of, and listen to the name of the group, the International Coalition of Apostles. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, quote, an apostle is a Christian leader gifted, taught, commissioned, and sent by God with the authority to establish the foundational government of the church within an assigned sphere of ministry by hearing what the Spirit is saying to the churches and by setting things in order accordingly for the growth and maturity of the church and for the extension of the kingdom of God. So uh, apostles have authority to establish foundational government. Keep that in mind. So what do apostles do? They receive revelation. Apostles hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Some of this revelation comes directly to them. Some of it is received together with prophets, and at other times through proper uh, relationships with the prophets. They cast vision, An apostles' vision is based on the revelation he or she receives. And note, that's revelation coming directly from God. This is extra-biblical revelation. They birth. Apostles are self-starters who begin new things. They impart. God uses apostles to activate his blessings in others. They build. Apostles strategize and find ways to carry carry a project along its intended course, including any funding that may be required. They govern apostles are skilled in setting things in order along with prophets they lay the biblical foundation of the kingdom they teach they send they finish they war they align generations they equip so you're going to know that he, and he even references Ephesians 4:12 it, it basically Ephesians 4:12 is talking about the, the the apostles like the 12 and he's saying that those that that group is alive and well today they've resurfaced they've reemerged. there are apostles today, and they govern and they have authority, and they set up the church's government. That's what c. Peter Wagner taught. Keep that in mind, so let's come back and By the way, I mean this is just easy to do. You want more information on this, also read Bill Hammonds. Book on books on the new apostolic reformation and the and the restoration of apostles, and read Church Quake and other things. I mean, all of these are readily available for purchase and download and reading. i why on earth would Michael Brown literally start off as an argument? Uh, these people, yeah, this is false because I don't know anybody who you believe these things. Do, do, have you know? And I, if if C. Peter Wagner taught it, I'm not aware of it. How is he a credible expert, a credible person to discuss debunking the hysteria regarding the NAR when it's clear the things he's saying, he doesn't know what he's talking about? It's like he refuses to actually do
2: the primary research. Fascinating. But we continue. If that I categorically reject it. All right. But I I don't know anyone people that use the title apostle I don't know any of them that believe that. Mm. So this would exclude every church I've ever worked with.
0: So so, so he knows them all apparently, you know, since he doesn't know anybody that nobody
2: does this. Yeah. That's weird. Anywhere in the world ever in my life, because I don't know any that hold to that.
0: Mm. Yeah. No, this is weird. Now, A little bit of a note here. I'm a confessional Lutheran, which is a conservative Lutheran, not like the ELCA types that believe in ordaining women and homosexuals and things like that. Uh, That being the case, I can honestly say I only know one person. I only know one person who believes that uh, women should be ordained and homosexuals should be ordained. I only know one. And before a few years ago, I didn't know any. And so if I were to use this argument, you know, maybe, you know, like five or six years ago and say, you know, I don't know any Lutherans that uh, claim people who claim to be Lutherans who want to ordain women and homosexuals. So that means they don't exist. Y- you think I would have any credibility after that? No, none whatsoever. And yet he thinks that this is a, uh, this is a solid argument here.
2: And some, some of the so-called, major NAR leaders today, mm-hmm. all right, I don't know any of them that hold to that definition either mm. that would go in that direction at all. Mm. Uh, here, but let's go down uh, to, to number six.
0: All right, so n- number six, you know, the hallmarks of the New Apostolic Reformation. You know, beware of these types of churches.
2: NAR denies the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Nor adherents may believe in the inerrancy and authority of the Bible, but God's breathed-out word is just not enough for them.
0: Right. Let me, again, read to you uh, what apostles do. From C. Peter Wagner, Apostles receive revelation. Mm -hmm. Apostles hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is direct revelation. Some of this revelation comes directly to them. Some of it is received together with prophets at other times through proper relationships with prophets. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry, but if you're claiming that you're receiving direct revelation from God, you do not believe in sola scriptura. You might believe the Bible is inerrant and inspired, but you clearly don't think it's enough. You believe you need to have an apostle and prophet giving you more information from the Spirit that cannot be found in the Bible. I would argue that uh, Amy Spreeman knew her stuff there. And so uh, let's see what he then continues here.
2: Jesus' sacrificial death for our sins is not good enough. The promise of eternal life in heaven is not good enough. I don't know anybody that believes that. Mm. I've I've never... And here we go. I don't know
0: anybody argument. Mm, Interesting.
2: A, A leader in the world that believes that.
0: Now, note here. The two things that were mentioned... Where people who believe in uh, uh, apostles as an office, and they cannot be challenged. There's a name for that type of leadership, by the way. Let me explain. That is called autocratic leadership. And autocratic leadership is defined this way, relating to a ruler who has absolute power. The constitutional reforms threatened his autocratic power. So autocratic leadership is a ruler who has absolute power. He cannot be challenged questioned um he doesn't take into consideration other people's input he has total authority just so you know that's what it's called and there's a reason i'm pointing that out here so let's continue with michael brown's rant here
2: you say well but aren't they constantly seeking to revelation well first my question is who's the they well the people who claim to be apostles And of the
0: stripe that C. Peter Wagner talked about, they they are receiving direct
2: revelation from God. I just read the quote. Who is they? You say, well, anyone who believes their apostles today. Well, hang on. Hang on. My friend, Bishop Joe Matera. All right. Now, this is important. He's going to quote a fellow, and
0: this is where Brown will talk out of both sides of his mouth. And I mean embarrassingly so. And here's what I mean by that is that Joseph Matera is the convening apostolic leader of the United States Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. This is an organization that was founded by C. Peter Wagner, and he has written several articles over the past year that literally not only confirm the existence of the N.A.R., But what's really strange is what's going to happen here is the fellow he's quoting is affirming what Michael Brown just denied exists.
2: I'll let him spin it out. Tara, now leads the U.S. Council of Apostolic Leaders, which was originally Peter Wagner's organization of, quote, apostles. Joe Matera said, I'll take it over, but first, I'll lead it. First condition is... You have to change from apostles to apostolic leaders. First change he made. Why? There are reasons for it. And he just wrote an article. This is the man who is leading. So just like uh, uh, leading a network, leading a fellowship of Mm -hmm. of leaders, helping to facilitate, coordinate, bringing them together. Okay? He is leading the organization Peter Wagner used to lead. Mm -hmm. And he has a major critique of many, many things commonly associated With New Apostolic Reformation.
0: All right, so notice what he just said. Joseph Matera is now leading C. Peter Wagner's former organization, and he is offering a critique, a critique of many of the things that are associated with or considered part of the NAR. Listen to what Joseph Matera is suggesting be reformed.
2: He doesn't agree with these things. Uh, for, For example... And if you're watching, I can't pull these quotes up for you right now.
0: Don't worry. I'll pull them up myself.
2: Uh, But he said this. He said, the present apostolic paradigm will bring a course correction to the new apostolic reformation.
0: Now, notice the words. Uh, This will bring a course correction to the current new apostolic reformation. All right. So Joseph Matera, as the leader, convening apostolic leader of the Council, uh, United States Council of Apostolic Leaders, is offering a corrective to the way things currently are in the NAR. Notice that, number one, affirms the existence of the NAR. But the things he's going to offer a corrective for actually have to exist in the NAR, or this cannot possibly be a corrective. And
2: watch what he says and view the apostolic as a ministry function, not as an office, as an adjective, not a title.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: Which means that currently in the NAR, or for many, for since its inception, people have believed it to be an office. Uh-huh. Yet Notice, Michael Brown just said, I don't know anybody, but Joseph Matera is offering a corrective to people who believe that uh, apostles
2: hold an office. He said this the present apostolic paradigm will correct the autocratic, top down, hierarchical government of many in the NAR. Uh,
0: did, did you hear those words? That he's offering a corrective for many in the NAR who are ruling autocratically. Yet he said that that Amy Spreeman of the Brain Examiner's wrong because he personally, Michael Brown doesn't know anybody who does these things. Yet Joseph Matera just said, as he was quoting him, many rule autocratically, talking out of both sides of his mouth. Let's take a look, by the way, at um, at a couple of articles. Char- Charisma Magazine. Joseph Matera wrote on April twentieth, so this is just a few days old. The NAR and restoration of apostolic ministry today. He says, I believe that the present embrace of the fivefold ministry of, of of the evangelical pastors in the USA is going to bring a convergence between the charismatic independent apostolic networks, evangelical networks, and ultimately even evangelical Bible confessing eva- denominations. The implications of this will be extraordinary. The church will go from being pastorally led to prophetically inspired. Mm hmm. This emerging apostolic paradigm will shift the missionary focus from planting local churches to planting movements of churches and Christ followers that will permeate every facet of society. The apostolic paradigm will shift the focus from gathering crowds on Sundays to developing disciples who will manifest the reign of Christ from Monday to Saturday. Does this sound like something you want to join up on Have brought to your church the present apostolic paradigm will restore the church back to the way of Christ and His apostles. Uh huh. So notice the emphasis on the apostles, and uh, so in uh, in Matera's way of thinking, the present apostolic leaders are synonymous with the um, the way things were in the church when Jesus's apostles were here. Um, the present apostolic paradigm will bring a course correction, mm-hmm, a course correction to the new apostolic reformation. Clearly, Joseph Matera thinks the new apostolic reformation exists, um, and view and the the view and uh, view apostolic as minist- a ministry's function not an office as an adjective, not a title. Mm-hmm. So you're going to note, Joseph Matera not only believes the NAR exists, but also has noted there are many people in the NAR who are apostles who believe that they're operating in an office. I wonder why that would be. Hmm. The present apostolic paradigm will correct, listen to this, will correct the autocratic, top-down, hierarchical government of many in the NAR. He didn't say some, he said Many. And Amy Spreeman, in her article, made it clear that these apostles cannot be challenged, that they believe that they're holding an office. And two of the – and what did Michael Brown do? Deny – I don't know anybody who, who thinks this way or believes this stuff. Yet Joseph Matera has offered a corrective to the autocrats who believe they're holding an apostolic office. How is that possible, number one, if the NAR doesn't exist, and number two, if there's nobody who thinks this way? You know, there was another uh, article. I'll put the links to these in the description down below so that you can find them for yourself. Uh, From Joseph Matera's website, josephmatera.org, abuses and blessings of the contemporary apostolic movement. In the section that has to do with abuses, Matera says this, abuse number two. Many apostolic leaders have an autocratic leadership style. Unfortunately, all too often those who gravitate to use the title like apostle, I will I would include bishop as well to be fair, tend to have an autocratic approach with a heavy top-down leadership style. They are prone to giving out strategies and commands without allowing a team into the decision-making process. Autocrats rarely develop homegrown leaders and often have hard times cultivating true, transparent relationships with their spiritual sons and daughters. So isn't that fascinating? Michael Brown, in debunking the hysteria regarding the NAR, in debunking the hysteria, you know, literally um, is claiming, well, I don't know anybody who does these things, so it can't be true. Mm Mm-hmm. And yet the very man that he cited, he cited and read from, Joseph Matera, recognized that there are many who believe that they hold an office, and it's akin to the apostolic office of the New Testament, and they are autocrats and do not allow any input and have a top-down and will not allow themselves to be challenged approach to their leadership. Hmm. Yeah, you, you get the reason why I think Michael Brown is the apostle of obfuscation, can never seem to get a straight answer from him. And over and again, his rhetoric is engaging in purpose, smokescreen creating, deflecting, and shift, You know, blaming you know, other people and shifting the blame, and never rightly addressing what he says. And he talks out of both sides of his mouth so close together that you can spot it so easily. It's actually quite embarrassing. Yeah, so let's just make this clear. Michael Brown is now admitting that the NAR exists, but he still considers all the critics of the NAR to somehow be Illuminati-type conspiracy theorists, and nothing could be further from the truth. And the very things that he denies are happening in the NAR, Joseph Matera literally is admitting are present in the NAR and is offering a corrective for. So whether or not one agrees with what the NAR has done historically doesn't change the fact that that literally is their history. Michael Brown is deceitful. He is an absolute liar, and I mean that, because you can't be this far wrong and not be engaging in intentional duplicity. And, I mean, that's really all there is to it, But this is only – uh part 1 of our takedown and masting of Michael Brown I've had enough of this fellow and I mean it and you know it's if you're going to have a conversation about the NAR it's time for you to stop painting your critics as if they're complete lunatics who are like overly exaggerating things that don't exist when the, within the NAR And um, yeah, because nothing can be further from the truth. I work with and am part of a group of people who are careful students of the NAR and cite their sources from original sources and quotes from the people who are in it. Which is why not only do I know that the movement exists, I know that it is one of the most dangerous movements on the planet and the most destructive and divisive movement out there. People who are, who are putting themselves under these apostolic leaders are literally risking shipwrecking their faith because of the nonsense that goes on in the name of the new apostles and prophets running the earth today. And do I feel strongly about it? You bet I do. I'm sick and tired of being considered and thrown into a lump of some weird wacko conspiracy theorist when I myself came out of the latter rain movement. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And it doesn't matter if Michael Brown knows somebody or not that's in this movement or claims, well, I know this person and I can vouch for them. No, it's about what they teach and what can publicly be documented, not what he claims that he can privately affirm or deny about a person. And that's part of his game. I hope you find that helpful. All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. When we come back in honor of Holly Pivock and Doug Guyvitt's um, decimation of Michael Brown, we'll be reviewing the Chris Valatin sermon, Becoming an Apostolic People. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit.
5: Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee And it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag Filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee I personally like mine as whole bean Because it goes so well with milk Uh, Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Oi, Captain! We
4: got ourselves a heretic!
5: (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich! And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? Ah! No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic, to are is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game refermanda and join the fight for the faith today.
0: do this right hey ho The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, call it that, comes to us via Bethel Church, Redding, California. Chris Ballatin presiding. This is the uh, sequel to the sermon we reviewed in March by him. And the name of it is Becoming an Apostolic People. This was referenced by Holly Pivick. In her opening argument against Michael Brown, in her proof that the NAR exists and is in a move, and is a movement, and Chris Valentin and uh, Bethel Church are steeped in it. Best way I could put it. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here is Chris Valentin and becoming a prophetic people. Here we go.
1: Is flowing, you know, in me this week. Um, I just I've had this whole idea of fathers, the 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 place of fathers in our life on my heart, in my mind. Uh, All right, now becoming a prophetic people. First thing out
0: of the out of the shoot is the fathers. Now, can you remember back to being a child? Hmm fathers had authority over their children just saying
1: largely due to a week ago today my my father passed away and um, and so i've i've been confronted with the you know the, the, the this relationship with my father if you were here 4 years ago uh in June 2011 my dad my mom my brother they were all up here and it was Father's Day, and it was, you know, it was a it was a great reunion. We were all together, maybe the first time since we were little, little kids. I mean, my little brother may have been t- two the last time he had, uh, he shared the, the same environment with my mom and dad together. And so, you know, obviously we're not close. I mean, my relationship with my father is not one of, uh, you know, he was, I, I went down and I, I, Spent some time at his bedside, and we had some really great spiritual connection. He was he was uh, sedated, but uh, there was just lots of really good conversation, and uh, it it, uh, it felt significant in that I was able to just say a bunch of a really good stuff that he needed to hear, and um, but that put me into a, a mode. I've been in a mode around this because this has gone on for about three three and a half weeks. Of him being in the hospital and then finally passing away, and this this topic of of, of having a father but not having a father, you know, uh, my father's alive, I have no relationship with him. That you know that over the years has been a, a real struggle. It has been a a, a place of of um, you know question and and pain and different things. But what this actually has done this week, it has just brought up to me the, uh, the gratitude that I have because of my father being such a good father. And knowing that, you know, my, my dad was, for whatever reason, incapable of being there. Just, just for whatever reason. Just not going to do it. And as a result... I I get to watch God insert in my life a Bill and Benny Johnson to dramatically... I mean, I'm thinking like, okay, if I could pick who would replace my dad, let's see, give me those guys right there. I wouldn't even have known to do it. Okay, I wouldn't even have known what was coming. But what ends up happening is I end up Having supplied in my life an opportunity, and much like you. I mean, you're sitting in this room. You hear the sound of my voice. You too have a, a similar opportunity. And that is that there is this flow. There is this apostolic flow from the Father to you. And it's because He loves you so much. You know, He's, He's, He's looking for people who are looking at Him. And he's looking for people who will prioritize him and not change the subject so he can make them leaders so that the rest of the body of Christ can. An apostolic flow so that God can make them leaders.
0: Uh huh.
1: Can benefit from this, this apostolic flow. And that flow is when, when leaders look into heaven and they won't change the subject.
0: Uh-huh. What, what, what biblical text is this from again? You ever notice that about Bill?
1: He just won't change the subject. We're talking about heaven again today. And how it's going to change the world. Now, that is an unusual thing. So he's
0: claiming Bill Johnson engages in this apostolic flow thingy.
1: Got it? In that it's, 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 not, it's not a... a well, it, it has not been really popular. I'll just put it like that. Because a lot of people think that you should talk about other things. Like, well, we'll get to that. But the main thing is... What, what, what benefit comes in my life when I have someone who is willing... And, and back, this is, you know, I am 21 years old. So, gosh, that feels like forever ago. 30-something years ago. And I'm, I move from this, pl- this place in my life of, of really having no, no connection at all to a father into this place of learning about heaven and learning about who my father is and learning stuff I don't have to unlearn. I learn so much stuff that I don't have to unlearn. It's all I ever knew. It's like I was raised on Kauai. You know, it's the most beautiful place in the world and i i 've met people there who 've never been off the island and i 'm thinking, why would you leave? Why would you leave i have met also met people there who 've never been to the other side of the island i don 't understand that but when we when we live in a downpour of of the apostolic i, I just i, I really want i want to just a downpour of the
0: apostolic. Now remember, um, Bill Johnson denies even knowing what the NAR is.
1: I don't have some heavy revelation for you today. I really just want to remind you of a few things. I, I, want, to, I want to just pull you into some of my thought processes this week of, of, of how grateful I am. That I am, that I am standing in a flow from a father, you know, from, from a father and a mother who have, who have been willing to, 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 to take ownership in my life simply by doing a good job with their life and stewarding what they were handed. So Earl and Darlene and they are, they are, you know, stewarding their lives and then they, they impart it to this, this family. And throughout the whole family system, and, and it's getting on everybody, literally to where millions of people at this present time are sitting at the table. Like, how big is our table? How amazing is it that, that the life of, of fathers and mothers who will, who will take great responsibility for the benefit of, of so many people that are not going to come over for dinner. Not that you wouldn't want to, but that's not how this works. Having a mother and father is not about having, you know, like a one-on-one with the people. It's, it's getting in that flow and staying in that flow and putting the harness on and, and getting, the, getting the rope and just going through the thing. It's just stay in there and the water just pounding on you and you are not letting go. You are staying in there you're, and you're making an adventure out of it. An adventure apostolic flow. Got it. Get a video so you can show your friends because <laughs> it's going to be the ride of a lifetime. But that flow is absolutely saturating. I mean, there is... I mean, my ears are full of water still from being... <laughs> injected by that waterfall. (laughs) And there were lots of people that went down the sides. I mentioned Sherry. Lots of people went down the sides. Not very many people went down the middle. (laughs) Not very many people. You see, you get as much of that waterfall as you want. (laughs) But you got to go get it. you got to go get it. And you know what's coming. What's coming is an edge edge and you got to turn around and then you got to sit down. You got to sit into the bad things could happen. (laughs) Bad things could happen right there. Because nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to do this all perfect. There's going to be stuff that you just have to hang on. I mean, it's interesting to me watching Jesus with the disciples. They, They you know, they they leave everything and they're following him around, and and he's doing stuff to kind of sh- you know he's, it's like he's shaking the rope. Like you still on there? You still on there? You sure, you sure you want to hang on? And it just it just deepens the decision to be affected and impacted by the anointing and the authority of a father
0: the authority of a father in an apostolic flow like bill
1: johnson there's such there's such great benefit in in that decision to 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 move into that place to to be so impacted so deeply impacted and you and you you you're hearing this from a guy who doesn't really have a template. I really don't have a template. I did not grow up in a home with a father. I had to learn all this stuff. I had to, I had to learn what a father impacts in my life. And one of the, I remember just standing, I was standing right here. Um, it was during ministry time. And, and uh, one, of my, one of my kids, you know, is, is do we have any parents here? Yeah, one of my one of my adult children is just is just drilling holes in my heart, you know, just drilling holes in my life, and I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. I'm trying to be all like, oh, but I'm just, I just you know I look like a sprinkler. And and Paul gets up here, it's probably Paul, because it was a super powerful prayer time with you know that English, that British authority that he carries. Sounds like a like a king up here, just telling us what to do. And I'm standing there and Bill just walks over to me and he puts his hands on me and he says to me, he has no idea what's going on. I didn't tell anybody. And he says, the same blessing that flows through my family, same inheritance is on your family and it flows through your your house. And I was like, you know, I just... I'm leaking everywhere. And it was like those words, that deposit just plugged all the holes. And also I'm like, yeah, really? Yeah, he said it. I believe it. I've been doing that for a while. He says stuff and I believe it. He just says stuff and I believe it. It's worked out excellent for me. And I'm believing this one right here. I'm just going to take it in, and it's going to have the impact of a father on my life to literally change the course of where I was going. And this is, this is the, the relationship that I have with a father, is that I've given you permission to change my mind. I give you permission to change the way I'm thinking. And as a result, I have a, I have a, a concept of, of who God is, what the kingdom is, what, what's going on in the world that has come from heaven through an apostolic father and has forever changed my life and the way that my anointing plays out.
0: His anointing plays out under an apostolic father. Okay.
1: I have... Uh, Another father, and uh, this man was in my life directly, like I worked for him for about nine years. I have a, a, a buddy in Norway, his name's Svera. That's what we just say, Svera. I don't even know what his last name is. Svera is like, he's from Norway, Svera from Norway. Yeah, I've never had anybody say Sverre who. Because everybody that knows him says, oh, Svera, yeah, Svera, Svera from Norway, totally, yeah, Svera. So, I mean, no, his, name's, his last name's not from Norway, but <laughs> thank you very much, I won't remember that. But Svera is, 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 you know, I, that's, that's what it says on my phone. When he, when he texts me, it just says Svera, because S-V-E-R-R-E, I have no other friends by that name. And then all the people that know him, same thing. Probably just says, Sarah. I get a text. It says, you're never, never going to guess who I just met. And I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> and he says, I was, I'm, I'm in Bergen. I'm, I'm standing here. And this, this couple comes up to me and they said, hey, will you take our picture? He says, so he, he takes their phone, and he, he takes a picture of them, and he says, are you from California? And they said, yes, we are. He, they said, we're from Redding, California. He goes, oh, my gosh, do you do you know Bethel Church? They go, of course, yes, we do. We, we know, We actually, we are uh, Danny Silk's parents. <laughs> and he said, you're kidding, you know Danny Silk? Here we go. And now what's happening is my, my other mother and father, John and... Sandy Tillery are in Norway on vacation, and they met the guy in Norway that I know. <laughs> and they had him take a picture of them ended up in a conversation. So they just had this whole deal. But again, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun for me that that they would introduce themselves as my parents because they've, they are another couple who've had such a dramatic Input in my life, uh, you know, we get we get saved at Mountain Chapel. We're there for a, a, a couple, couple years, Sherry and I, and then we moved down to Reading to go to work for these guys at Remy Vista here in Reading. And uh, John walks up to me early on in, in our employment, and he says, "Danny, why, why don't you go to school?" And you know, I'm 26 years old, and I'm I'm not going to school on purpose. You know, <laughs> I, I, I know, I know they have them. You know, and I know people do it, but I'm not doing it. You know, I don't like school, and school really doesn't like me. So I have no interest in going to school.
0: We're almost halfway through this sermon. No cracking open of a Bible yet at all.
1: And uh, he says, Have you ever thought about just going to Shasta College? And I said, Well, actually, no. You no. Know, <laughs> Never, never had one thought. So this is autobiography
0: masquerading as Christian doctrine. What about that?
1: And he said, well, why don't you just try a class? And I said, well, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really read. He said, well, that's okay. I mean, it's just like any other book you've ever read. I said, well, that's the deal. See, I've never read a book. And he didn't go. But he was like, oh, well, hey, that's not a problem. Just take one class. Go to to college. So I start Chester College. I take one class. And I got an A. And I'm like, no way. I could get an A in in school? When did this start happening? And so I go for eight years. I go for eight years following. I go full-time. I get my master's degree. But it's it's all at the prompting and the and, and somebody believing something about me I didn't believe about myself. Somebody pouring into me, somebody reaching in there and grabbing me by this little guy who's hiding. I'm hiding in here. Come here, come here. I think you could do this. And sure enough, I spend my whole pretty much my whole employment there going to college and and he pays for 95% of the whole thing. And it's all an investment because I'm I'm you know I'm being groomed in the leadership of this company and you know I'm part of the succession plan. And then my other father calls me 9 years into this and says, "Hey, remember that prophecy that Chris gave you 13 years ago about being a pastor in Weaverville? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I kind of got this other thing going. You know, I kind of got this career going. And I said, I got to talk to John. He says, of course, of course. So I talked to John Tillery. Sherry and I are sitting at, at at a table with him. and I said, uh, here's what's going on, Bill. Or John. Bill called. And uh, a Billy Graham could have called. And I would have said, I'm good. I got this. We're good. No, I'm, I'm on this path. I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm, no, no. But Bill Johnson could call. Like, oh, changed my whole life. So I just told John, I said, um. You know, I I would never even consider this if it wasn't Bill Johnson. And he says, If I've done anything through investing in you to prepare you for what God has for you in your destiny, then I bless you and I release you from any sense of obligation that you would otherwise have here. Wow. So we need people in our lives who will invest for the benefit of what God's doing on the earth in our lives. And they can think bigger than their own personal sacrifice. And so I have had some pretty amazing fathers in my life that, although they've happened differently, and, and, I, and I want to say again that having fathers in, in our lives isn't, isn't about playing catch in the driveway, you know, it's not about having dinner at their house, it's about getting in the flow of their anointing.
0: Having a father is about getting in the flow of their anointing. Uh-huh.
1: John and Sandy's anointing in my life is this pastoral anointing. They're really the ones that have that have encouraged me and opened me up to this idea of of learning people, learning people well, so you can help people well, and then owning the community wherever you are, own the community. And so, the the, the probably the the most obvious anointing on my life it has come through standing in the flow of their lives and letting it just saturate me the The heart of the father is is in the is in the blessing and you can you can hear it as as god is is speaking the he, he's reminding he's reminding us of of his his blessing on our life that you would dwell in this land and i will be with you and i will
0: bless you k okay, first ever mention of god 's word in this sermon we are well
1: past the halfway point Shoot. I will be with you and I will bless you. I listened to this testimony today of this young lady. of just And we're. I don't even know which text we're in. Just getting clobbered with the goodness of God. I will be with you and I will bless you. Now, we got to see the bless you part. But that girl was holding on to a rope. She was holding on to a rope, and it was a rope that was covering her in, in possibility. And, and, and her, obviously, her mom was part of that. Come over here and hold on to this rope right here. And she's like, "There, there is nothing good in reading." In this land, and I will be with you and bless you for to you and your descendants. I will give these lands. I will perform the oath, which I swore to Abraham, your father. See the heart of the father, the blessing of the father is territory. What is territory that you would own, you would possess that you would rule in a territory.
0: And, and that I would rule in a territory. That's what the heart of a father is to help me rule in a territory. What does that mean?
1: And that's what this whole thing is about. It's about opening up your authority in a territory.
0: Like, like a franchise, like a fast food
1: chain? And I, I understand that this is literal land that he's giving. But I, the territory in the spirit realm, the territory in your anointing, in, in your gift mix, in your calling. The the flow of the father into you, you learning to occupy, you learning to, to lack of a better word, dominate. hmm.
0: So, um, Chris Valatin is talking about, through my apostolic father being in the flow of his anointing, I learned to, and there's the word, dominate.
1: (laughs) To dominate in the land that is yours. Yeah,
0: so, um, not only are they teaching apostolic stuff there at Bethel, they're talking domination,
1: dominionism, mm-hmm. And you're looking for this, this flow into your life. Obviously, you know, being here, you're getting, you're getting an apostolic flow into your life. But there is, there are fathers and mothers that you're looking for that are going to, to build and to saturate into your life this, this covenant that God makes with Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. This is, this is where a lot of people kind of go, uh, I don't know. But see, if we don't believe this, then Reading doesn't happen.
0: Um, are you saying that because God made a, a covenant with Abraham, God has made a covenant with Bethel Redding? What?
1: It is so amazing to travel around the world. Not be from Bethel, just be from Redding. Be from Reading, travel around the world, and tell somebody you're from Reading. Guess what they're going to say? We heard about you. You must go to Bethel. And people go, no. No, there's other things going on in Reading besides Bethel. I will make you a great nation. I will give you a great name
0: yeah promise to abraham
1: this is you this is see
0: the father fa- no it's not me it's abraham
1: author the father wants his children to to be great i mean how many of you have children how many of you want them to be lousy isn't that strange that we would want great things for our children And it's so important that we that we we get this when when we when we stand in that that flow of of a father is that is that there is greatness pouring into what it is that's happening in and through your life. Oh no, I don't want to be great. I I, it's not me. It's Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's not me. It's all Jesus.
5: Stop it. Stop it. Okay.
0: No, sir. You you need to stop. What you're filling these people's minds with is not from Christ. You're
5: not
1: that good. All right? Don't don't bl- don't try to blame this on him. You've been called to be great. Let it fill you up. And, and...
0: No, I've been called to repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I've been given the gift of eternal life. What are you talking about?
1: I've heard Sherry say a number of times... The great part about being great is it's not for you. It's for you to make the land around you saturated with blessing. It's it's to help and to bless others.
0: Yeah, you helping the land around you be saturated with blessing.
1: So as long as you don't try to hold on to it, because if you hold on to it, you're going to get crushed by it. right? But just keep... Dishing it off. Here you go. Here's some greatness. I got some more greatness going on today. Here you go. Here you go. I'm a greatness dispenser. (laughs) That's what it's for. That's who we are. And that's in the covenant. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you with what? Great. I'm going to bless you with great. And you shall be a blessing. And you shall be a blessing. See, the, the thing about being wealthy is, is this idea that you are, you are wealthy with a sense of noble obligation. What do I do with this great authority? What do I do with, with this limitless resource? What do I do with this, with this limitless favor? What do I do with it? I am obligated. By a sense of nobility to saturate the environment around me so that there is great benefit to all that I have relationship and authority with. This is what I do with it. This is why it's so important that we learn to carry it. That's why we cannot be overwhelmed with blessing. It's too many of us don't understand that I am, I am. Under the the blessing of the Father, my job is to expand my capacity to manage goodness, to manage wealth, to manage opportunity, to manage favor. That's my character. That's why I'm here. I am here to learn to be a distribution center for people that don't have this. People that don't know this. And there's lots and lots of folks that don't. Lots and lots of folks that don't understand how good he is. I remember, um, I love this analogy, I use it all the time. Because it works in so many different places. There's a guy from Weaverville named Buck Steele, real name. Real name, Buck Steele. Only thing better if his last name was Knife. Buck Knife, you know. Buck Steele. He's just a, he's exactly how you think he is. He's just... Uh. And Buck is a, a, an artist, a sculptor, a welder, a carpenter, probably a chemist. You know, I don't know what else he does. He just does everything. Well, he has this, this wide open work area. And he's always welding out there and he's building stuff and slag is coming off and bolts and, and nails and different things. And so his, his yard is, is kind of a granite, uh, a decomposed granite. you know. So everything hides in there. So if you pull in his yard, you're going to get a flat tire. Yeah. So every once in a while, Buck's out there. He's got this big old magnet on this chain. And, he just, and he's just walking around, dragging this magnet around his yard. He's just walking around like a farmer. You know, he's just like plowing the ground. And, and, and he lifts it up, and there's just all this stuff hanging off this big old magnet. Like you had no idea it was there until you drug a magnet through it. And then he's pulling this stuff off and putting it in a bucket, and he just walks around. When his kids were big enough, that's what his kids did. <laughs> this, this, is, this is what the apostolic does with hope. The apostolic drags hope through the environment. Mm,
0: that's what it does. It drags hope through the
1: environment. Okay. And it pulls hopelessness out of the community. And it saturates the community with anything could happen. Anything is possible. Did You, you know what? I just heard that this happened. It was an impossibility and it happened. There was this lady... She had this brain thing, and she got totally healed from this brain thing. She used to get knocked out for a month or two. She got healed. And all of a sudden, there is this there is hopelessness that is just drawn right out of the community because the apostolic blessing releases hope all over the place. The momentum of that hope through generations. And one of the things that the apostolic is going to keep us connected to is generations of heaven on earth. Not our little moment and our little time. And all that we got is this little piece. No, no, we are connected to generations, hundreds of, hundreds of your centuries of momentum biblical momentum into our moment and guess where it's going on into the future for our children's children's children biblical momentum stuff yeah right that's another piece of what the apostolic blessing is going to keep us focused on and mothers and fathers beget sons and daughters and so sons and daughters are raised up and and they become mothers and fathers and they become those who, and I know nothing else. I know nothing else. I don't even know that there could be another way of doing things. I don't even, I don't even know that there's another normal. I don't, have, I don't have a bunch of things to unlearn. I don't have a bunch of, a bunch of doubt to fight. Instead, I, I immediately stand on the shoulders of my fathers and mothers, and we start there. Just some things I want to point out real quickly. I guess I'm out of time here. Um,
0: yeah, we never really heard a proper text, properly exegeted in what you did regarding Abraham. Wow, that was
1: miserable. Points of prayer. That It's, it's important that we pray for other communities to, to get this. Because it, what makes this such a unique place Is it feels normal here? It just feels normal. Everybody does it. Everybody's everybody's walking in this. This is this is spreading. But really, what we need is we need apostolic mothers and fathers in cities all over the world who are who are welcomed as mothers and fathers. Who are people that that others are getting in the stream and hanging on and taking great risks in that stream. And that the inheritance that's flowing from heaven, it's, it's not like it's only flowing in some spots of heaven. It's flowing from every place in heaven, looking for conduits all over the world. And so that's what our prayer begins to, to focus on, is the releasing of apostolic, apostolic mothers and fathers all over the world. Check. Apostolic moms and dads all over the world. Gotcha. And, and there's no debate. As to whether or not we are in that covenant because we are in Christ. And being in Christ puts us right into this receiving of the promises that God made to Abraham. Amen? Let's- no, that does not mean
0: amen at all. You've totally twisted the Abrahamic covenant.
1: Let's all stand together. I want us to make some declarations over ourselves, and I want you to just check your heart and see if you need to get deeper in the flow. As we say these things, as you say these things over yourself, I want you to just... I want you, They're going to declare things. We're not going to pray. We're going to
0: declare. That's not prayer. I want
1: you to just listen to how your heart feels and if, if there's agreement or if there is adjustment necessary. All right? So let's read these things together. Starting at the top. I am a great nation. I am blessed. I have a great name. I am a blessing to others. I am covered and protected by my Father. All the families of the earth shall be blessed in me.
0: (laughs) This is blasphemy. Wow, this is
1: blasphemy. Holy Spirit, I pray that you reveal in us any place where we need to adjust. Like
0: every place, you are part of a different religion altogether. So that was um, creepy beyond all reason. And, uh, you know, just throw throw that in there, you know, Becoming an Apostolic People by Chris Valatin. Yeah, no biblical text, and a complete twisting of the Abrahamic covenant, and weird, creepy declarations at the end there, and uh, the need for apostolic fathers so that we can dominate. Yeah, weird. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition. Or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at FireChristian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.